0: Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights for making money in food. The Edible Alpha podcast is hosted by the Food Finance Institute, where our mission is to help food businesses raise the money they need to grow. Through our podcast, FFI staff talks to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food or farm business. Welcome everybody to the Edible Alpha podcast. Uh, Today we have... I. One of my favorite discussions is about retail grocery and and a lot of and e-commerce and sort of a lot of trends and stuff. And we have a T4 Solutions um, who's working in this space. It comes with uh, the founder uh, Steve Maymert, and uh, I've worked with Steve in uh, uh, on my one of my FabCap fellows programs um, in the last couple of years. And um, I just think it's a great uh, platform that he's working on and such. But I'm not going to do as much service to uh, to explaining uh, T4 as Steve is, so I'm going to turn over to Steve to introduce himself and uh, talk a little bit about T4 Solutions real quick.
1: Well, thanks, Brad. It's always, always good to catch up with you and um, and uh, share a little bit about our journey. So as you know, um, I grew up in the grocery industry in the area of store development. We we uh, developed a business, uh, Maymart Store Services, that for uh, almost 30 years, uh, we... Um, designed and developed grocery stores. And we focus primarily on independent grocers. So my passion for uh, all of those independent grocers um, is incredible. And um, as we worked through um, many, many, many changes over nearly 30 years of what retail looked like inside of brick and mortar um, my wife and I finally came to the conclusion that we needed to hand that store development business over to the to the younger, more energetic team which we were successfully able to do back in 2018. Uh, but I still wanted to serve that market. So as I reached out to those closest to me in the in the industry and the independent grocers that I worked with, the common theme that kept coming up was, you know, help us work with e-commerce and online shopping. And, and as you and I've discussed, um, that wasn't a fun topic. The, uh, independents didn't really, uh, want to join into that, but they felt they needed to, to remain relevant. They felt the pressures of, uh, you know, major monster online, um, organizations that were putting pressure on them to Uh, meet that demand Um, but they wanted their customers to continue to come to their stores i mean they pay a lot of money in in either real estate development costs or in a lease and so the whole idea of um uh, of entering into e-commerce and online shopping was something they definitely did um Mm -hmm. kicking clawing fighting uh, all the way and uh as you and i have discussed for many years it represented a small percentage of their total sales, may, maybe less than 2%. And realistically, they could set up a minor online shopping experience. They could claim to the world that they had it. They really hope nobody used it. Um, but, you know, <laughs> they, they had it set up and you could go to a website and you could place an order. And there were losses on every order. Uh, they weren't set up to do it well. Um, and they and on top of that, they didn't want to do it, which makes it hard to focus on doing it well. And uh, they were losing money on every order, uh, but it was such a small percentage of their total business um, that they could kind of tolerate it. <clears throat> Some of them could even fool themselves into thinking they were making money on those orders and they just played with the numbers and decided that it was extra revenue and extra sales and their existing customers weren't even using it. So, you know, they did all kinds of things to work around in their own minds that it was okay to ignore that small segment of their business. You know, but as you and I have discussed many times, um, it was growing uh, even prior to a global health event, it was growing and it was something that was going to have to be dealt with. And at the time, especially for the independents, their attitude was, "Well, we'll let somebody else solve it, and then we'll do what they did." Um, and then, of course, you know, we we entered into a time where um, shopping online and and health awareness and a pandemic um, changed the world, and certainly changed the grocery industry um, forever. Um, and, and it it became an avalanche of. Of demand for uh, both corporate as well as independent retailers, but these independents that I'm so passionate about, you know, were the guys that were suddenly panic stricken, and uh, so our efforts in in online and e-commerce um, unknowingly were uh, very timely, and uh, we've set about the process of of helping these retailers, but I think also and and maybe a bit more since you and I've spoken last, I've realized that, you know, we're also helping consumers. Um, and and that's been a fun page to turn and, and recognize that whether it's a food desert, which uh, we have several locations now that are either in place or soon to be in place in areas that no longer have good sources of food, um, or whether it's a large food pantry um, operation for people in need, which we have our first large order coming up for uh, a group in Ohio uh, related to that. There's the other side of this effort, which is helping people have a great place to buy food. Um, Even if they're in a geographic area where they don't have a store nearby, or even if they're economically in great need, uh, we can step in with the resources that we have available and help to get that accomplished.
0: So that's one thing I think you forgot to tell everybody But tell the, 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 the solutions of T4. Yeah.
1: You know, I'm so, I'm so <laughs> passionate about helping grocers. I, I, you know, I would pick up the phone and help them in any way that I can. So certainly the tools that we're making use of, um, include, uh, temperature controlled technology managed, uh, grocery lockers. So they are what you would envision when you think of lockers in your own mind. It might be a locker you had when you were in school. It might be a locker you have at your local gym. It's it's kind of like that. Only um, they're insulated. They're temperature controlled. Now, we currently have three temperature zones that we have available. We have uh, frozen and refrigerated. And the one that people might not think about as often is what we refer to as store ambient. It's a locker that runs at about the same temperature as your local grocery store. And of course, as you think about it, ice cream needs to be frozen and chicken needs to be refrigerated. And Cheerios need to be in a locker that actually, um, even though they're Cheerios, you don't want them to be at minus 10 and you don't want them to be at plus 100 degrees in that locker. So we still maintain temperature control in what we call that store ambient. The systems integrate directly with the grocers um, or other users uh, website so that um, the technology allows the consumer to select a location that's convenient for them. uh, That is a locker uh, system. And uh, when they make that selection, the e-commerce platform has the ability to interact and communicate with the locker to reserve doors for the order. Um, That integration runs all the way through the picking process and the delivery process so that when the uh, delivery person arrives at the locker, the order is already uh, reserved. They can simply enter their credentials into the terminal at the locker and start picking off orders. Uh, Brad's order is here. It's number one, two, three, four, five. They pick Brad's order. Only the appropriate doors that are reserved for Brad open. They can put those groceries in the appropriate doors. Close the doors and hit confirm. Then the locker takes over from there. It starts to communicate with Brad. Hi, Brad. Your order has been delivered. You're you're at the corner of First and Main, and the code for your order is one, two, three, four, five. When you arrive, Brad, to pick up that order, you just simply scan your phone or enter that code, only your doors for your order open. You can quickly and conveniently grab your groceries on the way home or wherever you might be out running errands, throw in the car and head for home. Um, even at curbside, um, as we're working with. Grocers who are really struggling with, uh, labor and hiring, um, the lockers can create labor savings. Um, We're estimating that depending on the efficiency of the operation um, a retailer might save um, 8 to 15 minutes per order uh, by making use of the um, lockers and allowing the lockers to complete the journey of the uh, food to the consumer and also letting the consumer um, drive right up and grab those orders and not interrupt the flow of business inside the store couple of stories, you know, I love to tell um, I'm a friend in a Minneapolis market. They have a chain of stores there from the time the person pulls into the parking lot and in their particular system, they deliver the groceries to the car. Um, when that person pulls into the parking lot and sends that text message that says, I'm out in front of pickup sign number four, if they got it down to about seven minutes that they could get that order out of the back room and out to the car number one complaint on a customer attitude survey, it just takes too long for you guys to get my groceries to the car. Um, My friend is pulling his hair out going, seven minutes, really? I mean, (laughs) you know, Um, but you know that- And Amazon is two days, right? Right, right. Yeah. The expectations have gotten super high, but you know, there's this Yeah, since And this declaration that ordering online is fast and convenient and um, people are sitting out in their car for seven minutes. um, And, you know, just to piggyback on that a little bit, um, that's seven minutes of the process where my friend's staff is stopping what they're doing, responding to that text message, running around the store to regather that order, get it out to the car. That's seven minutes. But, at the end of the shopping of that order, they had to put that all away, so there's another three or four minutes, so you can see where we can start to gain you know eight to ten to twelve minutes per order, yeah. maybe fifteen, depending on how poorly allocated storage space is in the store yeah. per order and when you have a when you have an industry that literally cannot find help,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know if you're doing 40 or 50 orders a day, you're talking about maybe 10 hours of labor. Yeah. I mean, that's that 10 hours of labor needs to be in the deli or it needs to be in the meat department or it needs to be at the point of sale system, right? It doesn't need to be running around trying to retrack orders. Um, Mm -hmm. Somebody else brought up a point to me. Again, I love it when our customers teach us things. There's also somebody in that store that's administering, like supervising those orders and they're like, mm-hmm. they're like bringing them in and, and, and getting them picked. And then they're monitoring when did the customer come and did we get it out there and what happened next and did everything get in there? You know, the locker technology takes the back end of that mm-hmm. off the hands of the operator and off the hands of the e-commerce team mm-hmm. Because once that order is placed in that locker and you hit confirm, the locker takes over. Mm-hmm. Hi, Brad, your order's in the locker. Mm-hmm. Hey, Brad, um, just wanted to remind you that your pickup time was between eight and noon. Mm-hmm. Hey, Brad, it's it's noon. Um, mm-hmm. Not sure if we missed you or not, but we're gonna leave the order in for another thirty minutes. Hope we can connect um, at twelve thirty. Hey, Brad sorry we missed you. We're going to return the order to the store. Just please connect back with the store and let them know when there would be a convenient time for you to pick it up. In the meantime, the locker's communicating back to the store, hey, Brad didn't pick up his order. We need this spot for another order. Let's grab it back out and, and get that next order in there. All of that's being done with technology. There's nobody in the store, as we'd like to say, with their hair on fire, right? Because things aren't <laughs> going well and they're trying to call you and they're trying to communicate with you and it's a it's a person that's in there going where is brad yeah um instead the locker's taking care of it and um you know the once the order is placed in the locker the store has fulfilled their side of the deal right um unless of course there's a lack of pickup which is very rare because again, the order is paid for. Um, So the customer obviously is motivated to come and get it. It's not as if if they skip it, they don't have to pay for it. It's already been paid for. So the rate of non-pickup is very, very low. Um, Also, just for people who might be listening who are intrigued by it, the average time between when the locker notifies the customer that the order is in there and the customer actually comes and picks it up is typically less than two hours. So the locker turnover for reuse is pretty good. Um, yeah. You know, every every couple of hours, um, you can refill that locker again. So um, it's a good system. Uh, the manufacturer we work with has been at this for over 12 years. We're pleased with that because they've really gone through the hard knocks of, <laughs> of the industry. They've gone through all the revisions and changes and especially focused around the technology and the software um any meeting that i'm on with my tech support uh, person andrew i'm continually impressed with the questions that the customers come up with and how he's already able to answer yes this is how the technology takes care of that um it's it's a great piece of equipment um and we're proud of it. I mean, we're proud of the equipment. It's working well. It's rated for indoor and outdoor use. It can sit in the snow. It can sit in the heat um, and anything in between. And that's, again, been proven with units that have been up in Canada for over 10 years still mm-hmm. run it um, outdoors. And that's great. But you know me. I mean, you and I've got to know each other. I mean, I'm I'm passionate about the service side of it and how this helps Uh, both the retail side and the consumer side. Um, And so I tend, I tend not to talk about the lockers very much. It's a solution, (laughs) right? I mean, it's, and again, you and I've talked about this. We didn't name the company T4 lockers. You know, that, that's not what we are. We're a solutions company. And, and so uh, the lockers do a great job and they do what they're supposed to do. But the real joy of this is to provide a solution for an, Obvious problem,
0: yeah.
1: Um, and you know, you you and I could probably fill the rest of this time talking about the flaw of delivery, yeah, uh, in the industry. And you know, the concept of one order in one car going to one front door is just not healthy, um, yeah. financially healthy. And then we could take the next step and say that it, at a minimum, we're not monitoring. Yeah. If it's physically healthy, by, by and what I mean by that is back to my, you know, death by chicken, uh, you know, you got the raw chicken riding around in the back of a sedan in the summertime. And we don't know for sure how long that person that's delivering that is out there on the road doing what they're doing. Um, when you add in the component that we have available, which is also to help our clients source temperature controlled delivery vehicles, we now know that the safe food handling process is in good order from the store to the picking process, to the truck, to the locker. And then we've allowed the consumer to make the decision of how quickly they wanna take their perfectly healthy order of fresh food to their home. Uh, we're not relying on crowdsourced uh, drivers. Um, and and hey, those folks are out there working hard, I get it. but. The system's kind of stacked against them. I mean, it's yeah. it's not a it's just not a good day when it's a hundred degrees and people are driving around with somebody else's perishables in their back seat. I, it's not.
0: No, that's, no, I know I, as you as you and I have talked about. Um, I, I mean, it's 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 almost, it's it almost sounds like it's, it sounds like a bad thing to say, but it's a disaster waiting to happen mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, because. Frankly, between I mean, everybody probably has good meaning, you know, as you said. But first, of all, when I say that everybody does, first of all, I know that there are people that don't necessarily. They want right. to do it the cheapest, quickest way they can do it, and you know, if they cut a corner, if it dies, ah, it's not going to kill anybody. You know, it might. All right, um, and that's you know, that, that, as I say, it's sort of like in for for T four and what you're doing in the industry. I would say the trend is your friend because. Sadly to say, that's probably going to happen. I mean, we've seen it before with like, you know, the peanut butter companies and stuff like that, where food safety issues have been overlooked, um, you know, for speed and for access, you know, that kind of things, uh, profitability and, and sad to say, that's sort of an interesting part of this whole delivery world that we've talked about is that, you know. Every other retailer, every other manufacturer has some extraordinarily compliant rules that they have to follow to make sure that their food is safe. Once the store puts it into a back of a car someplace that's not necessarily refrigerated, we don't know where it is. And if it sits on a, on a, on a doorstep, you know, in the 90 degree weather, you know, or 120 degree weather in Arizona, um, holy cow. And then let, that's assuming everything has been done right. And then you bring up an interesting point about retrain, you know, taking product back into the store. So if you're, if you've got some kind of process that you're not using a 4 you know, locker system, I hadn't really thought about that. They're going to put that stuff back on the shelf, you know, and I'm like, well, wait a minute. I mean, <laughs> that's not good. I mean, it yeah. probably didn't have the right temperature it was being held at. It's sort of like somebody that, you know, took something out of the freezer section and put it in the refrigerated section, um, right. you know, in the store that happens in the store because consumers do it. But, you know, when the process sort of sets you up for that, it's like, oh, my God. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be an interesting ride, you know, because because of that. I mean, and, and we you know, like you and I've talked about, um, I think it's also interesting that I think you told me it was five to eight percent pre-COVID of, of sales that went across the till or that, that went through e-commerce and, and then I heard, I, th- I don't know if it was you or it's just somebody else I was talking to on e-commerce during COVID in Metro market areas, it spiked to like 40% plus. And then even in not major Metro market areas, it was like 20%. And it's sort of, you know, good chunks of that has, has, stick, has stuck afterwards, you know, and, and a lion's share that I attribute that to is one, if we've gotten better at it Two, um, people had apprehension to ordering online. I want to pick my fruit. I want to pick my meat. Um, you know, they, you know, they didn't know how to use the platforms, that kind of thing. Well, once they learned how to use the platforms and once the meat and the fruit showed up and it was okay, <laughs> um, yeah. sort of remove some major barriers to e-commerce and food, you know, and now the question is, is how much can we distribute like that? Because I always equate it to it, it's $850 billion of sales and sale in food and beverage annually in the United States of America you know, bigger than automobiles, technology, you know, and and energy combined, you know, so it's sort of like, you know, delivery would be like the deliveries around Christmas time every day.
1: Yeah, that's correct. And, and, you know, a lot of, for a lot of grocers store sales have become like Christmas week every week. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we understood back when we were building grocery stores and I had a lot of great, independent grocers who are willing to teach me about their business. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about it. And I understand it so deeply. Um, but, um, you know, their their entire journey through COVID was such an incredible, you know, wake up call. Um, mm-hmm. Number one, I think they began to understand what kind of volume they could actually handle. Um, <laughs> but as we knew all the way through our, our very early on in our journey through store development that anytime the economy moved in a direction where eating out went down, mm-hmm. those restaurant dollars went back to the grocery store. And, yeah. you know, for people who don't, you know, probably think about it or, or work in this industry, you don't really think about the fact that, Restaurants are competitors with grocery stores. I mean, every meal you eat out, you don't eat at home. Um, And so uh, COVID and with all the closures was the epitome of restaurant dollars going back to the grocery store. I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was unbelievable.
0: Oh, I know. Well, I say people like say, if if you're not, I mean, a lot of people on this call probably are, are aware of it, not necessarily myopically focused on it. I know when I was with, uh, like Sargento, we talked about share of stomach <laughs> Yes, um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and food service tipped up. Now dollar share is one thing because food, sur- you know, it's not necessarily 50% of the food, uh, food consumed was going through restaurants, but 50% of the dollar sales were, um, and, you know, and, and, and they tipped over in the early nineties, you know, where they were actually winning the war, you know, of share of stomach, um, you know, but it's like say, and and whoever really thought of a pandemic? I mean, nobody, <laughs> nobody right. like it's like, um, and that's going to totally. I mean, we had, 2008 caused some major disruptions because of cash flow. Yep. Um, but this was sort of like a total disruption of a of a of a of, a, of, of an ecosystem. I mean, and it, it not only did it not only did it affect like food service outlets and the grocery stores and the manufacturers. I mean, all of a sudden their their mix of products was totally wrong. All right. Um, you know, so it's just like a, a total upheaval, and now now we're resetting. And so, where is it going to go?
1: <laughs> well, and what what will be the new normal, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think we've figured that out yet. Um, and and as the old saying goes, right, it, it takes thirty days to solidify a new habit. I don't know mm-hmm. about you and your family. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're eating out less. yep and, and now it's not because. There's not opportunities to go to restaurants, great restaurants that are open and available. It's just it's a different habit, and mm-hmm. um, the grocers. Two things have happened to the grocers. I mean, their sales have stabilized. I know I know we can't quite use the term, you know, post COVID, but maybe the right term is post crisis. You yeah. know, COVID. Their their sales have stabilized, but they haven't dropped back to pre COVID. Dollars, right? So mm-hmm. now a little bit of that might be inflation, but mm-hmm. they're still getting a higher share mm-hmm. of, of those sales than they were before. And then, of course, their online um, has grown and is not going backwards. Effectively, and and you and I talked about this a lot. We anticipated that. I think it was by, I don't know, twenty thirty. You know, they anticipated that online volumes would be, uh, you know, at 10% or you know, it was a really slow climb, right? I mean, yeah, it was a yeah. very, very slow cr- climb, uh, but it was going to happen, but it was very slow. And, uh, you know, now they've blown past that and they're growing from a new base. It, it yeah. isn't shrinking back. Yeah. Um, the other thing that is interesting, I and, and you'll find this interesting if we haven't talked about this before, but Um, I have a friend who, through a series of events, their business was acquired by Amazon, and um, he talks about how they're now researching and creating entirely new systems for a people group, which are our senior citizens, who they anticipated would never, ever order online. Yeah. Well, now they are.
0: Well, and you because know I, I, well, I I order online for my mom all the time,
1: yeah, <laughs> you know, but, but I mean even you you know yeah. there are a lot of people that that you and I might know um that we would have thought, oh yeah, you know, yeah, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, whatever, yeah, they're they're not gonna order online, well, they learned how to do it, and they're like, oh, this wasn't really as tough as I thought it didn't scare me as much as I thought it worked out pretty well, and you know for a company that's into um technology like Amazon for them to create a whole new kind of agenda for this people group that they never thought would be online consumers. Yeah, Uh, That's telling about online for everyone, not just for them. Um, So it's, it's, um, it has been a really certainly unexpected, unwanted, but you know, incredible journey to go through this and start to work with, uh, retailers, as well as communities, as well as other food supplying businesses, that um, are responding to both the contactless delivery, but I mean, also the labor crisis. I mean, it's yes. just it's everywhere. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, that's sort of like see the trend. Like say that's why it's always interesting talking to because you, you're sort of the crosshair of so many trends. Um, that you know this labor piece of it. I you know I obviously i i hear it i i don't i'm I'm not directly in the middle of it so i don't i don't feel the the total pain but i okay okay so you're gonna have to go you know solving that is going to be tough for a lot of people but but the reality is it's good it's here sort of here to stay i mean 2008 you know i'm a baby boomer so you know people were starting to retire all right um and they didn't they had to pull back after 2008 a lot of them didn't um and then but then you know fast forward to you know 2020 it's like okay this time around i'm retiring almost all my peer group is like uh, almost like it's getting into the high 75, 80% retired. Um, that's a big chunk of demographic pool, right? Yeah. Um, that, you know, I mean, people, I think people for, got a little lazy in the, from know, 2008-ish to, to now that, you know, you sort of, they're, they're there, they're always in the market space. You know, they were taking up, you know, they were taking up pre-retirement jobs, you know, that kind of thing. Well, those pre-retirement jobs are now retired and, you know, somebody else has taken them and it's just creating that that demand, Right. Um, it's it's interesting to watch. I don't. I, I haven't looked at all the numbers, but it, I got to believe it's that backfill is. You know, we've always talked about it. You know, the, the boomers dominated. Well, they're still dominating in in this way. You know, that kind of thing And it's shift. And to your point, what Amazon's realized is that how do I get those people that, you know, half of my friends uh, are computer savvy half of them aren't right Uh, you know and you know and you know so how do we make it easy for those people to continue to exist and and the nice thing that amazon has done and and just the e-commerce side of it but amazon's sort of the the icon of it all they've created a time machine and they've created access all right and when i say that is you know you go to the grocery store and if it's not on the shelf you're pissed off or you go to your or you go to your your department store and it's not the color you want isn't there the size you want isn't there you're mad Um, Amazon, you go online, you'll find the color, the size, whatever you want. It's there in two days. So two days later, you're happy. You know, when you go to the store, you're not
1: right. Yeah. I've had, I've I've had customers of mine who said, you know, if people walk in and there are no strawberries, uh, I'm, I'm going to catch it. Uh, I mean, it is not going to be a happy day, but they'll go online and order something and it'll take two days to get there. If I tell them the strawberries will be here in two days, they'll probably throw something at me. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so In mean, is they,
0: they've got a time machine. I mean, it's just yeah. like they created a time machine.
1: Yeah, they at a minimum they created two days. I mean, yeah. it's pretty incredible. You're right. Well, that's why I
0: always wonder about Amazon when they picked up uh, Unifi and, and Whole Foods and Super Value as part of all this stuff. I mean, it was sort of like, okay, well, interesting. I said, and then you know, they're not necessarily the top tier, you know, mer- retailers of the world. I mean, they're good retailers, but they weren't like they're not the they're not the behemoths of Walmart and whatever that kind of thing. Um, and I thought, hmm, interesting, you know, they're, how are they going to do this? And it sort of made sense from a, a, the type of consumer that shopped at Whole Foods that would shop online that, made that there was a lot of alignment there. But then when they started going into, you know, like brick and mortar and I'm like, you know, you're going to make people unhappy. You're going to be ruining that equity that you've got of that time machine, because if the product they're looking for is not at that brick and mortar site, you've just now taken a, an equity credit off of your brand.
1: You know? Yeah, And I, you know what, I, I certainly would not be the expert in their strategy, but it, it was a, it was a moment of, um, kind of joy for me when they, <laughs> when, they when they bought Whole Foods and now yeah. they're actually building brick yeah. and mortar stores, uh, whether, yeah. whether it's their small store format or their, their larger store format. And to me, it just states clearly, um, Specifically for the perishable side of the business, they yeah. they don't have it figured out yet. I mean, yeah. they're still, yes. you know, everybody in the grocery industry when they bought Whole Foods said, "Oh, oh, it's over, we're done." Yeah. When they figure out how to start doing groceries, well, so for us, like we were watching carefully, lockers yeah. started yeah. to show up in Whole Foods. Right, and we're like, "Oh, yeah. you know, they're doing lockers." Well, they weren't doing lockers for food. Yeah, they were doing lockers for tennis shoes or. Yeah or that shirt that you did find that was the right color and the right size. And now they're hoping that you're going to come in and pick up your items from the locker that is helping them with their final mile challenge of non-perishable. And by the way, you're going to shop at the Whole Foods for your groceries. Yeah. It, 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 to me, it was, um, for the industry that I'm passionate about, I was, I was doing a victory dance. Like, Hey guys, they're recognizing that they still need local, source and distribution for perishables. You're still in the hunt. You're still in the game. Let's let's be as good or better than they are. And um, and I still believe that's true. I I don't think they'd be out there building. Yes. Brand new ground up constructed buildings, signing 20 year leases if they didn't realize that, uh, you know, maybe what they realize is they're trajectory to solve it is 20 years but whatever it is i mean they they've acknowledged it they're building brick and mortar um i have a close uh connection with one of their um installing contractors and the rate at which they hope to build brick and mortar would rival kroger
0: yeah
1: um so man they're in it to win it And, and it's like well why yeah. I, I haven't
0: figured that out yet either. I, I, I just, cause I say, I, I, I marvel. I, I, I've told my example of like five years ago, four years ago, I, I wasn't a huge Amazon you know consumer or e-commerce period. And, and, uh, and Christmas time was rolling around, and and I thought, oh God, it was a nasty cold what, what day. It was December tenth. I had to get all my stuff done. And I didn't want to go out. So I thought, December
1: tenth. Let's repeat that again. It's yeah, Christmas shopping. Yeah, right. Yeah,
0: and so I went online and competitively bid Amazon, Best Buy, Walmart, everybody, and then by the end of the day, it took me all day, you know. But I, and I would have done the same driving around in the cold, nasty, and stuff like that everything was shipped to my doorstep within a week. And, and I didn't have anything. I had the best prices that I could find. I mean, they were the same as, you know, the grocery store or the stores I was looking at. So I was like, wow. And I, and then I did it again the next year, just because I thought, okay, well, I'm going to try it, you know, make sure. It, and, and yeah. And then, and since then, you know, I've even do, I do consulting work and I use it as a consulting tool. So like I find out what's going on out there. Um, it's just created, you know, they've, they've created such a, 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 you know, a shift in the obviously the overall market system, um, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of amazing. And I, and I actually, I like it. Like I so said, even like for my, for like, you know, you mentioned something about the boomers and stuff like that, that are, they're targeting. Well, think about it. You know, a lot of the people like the mobility of, of elders, I've, I've taken care of my parents now, you know, I've been the, the durable power attorney for them for both my parents. And, you know, when, at the end of their, you know, at the, at the end of their de- time, I mean, their mobility was lot, was very bad, but when you could literally have, they could just, when they wanted something, I just
1: go on it online and ship it to them. Yeah, my my mom lives in rural Missouri. Closest grocery store is 30 miles one way and and she no longer drives, but she will not move off the farm. And (laughs) um, and so my sister takes the shopping list and she orders the product online. She actually orders it online from an hour away because that's. The, the closest stores is just really not that great. So an hour away is a community that has um, larger stores. And then, you know, her daughter works in that town and, and picks those online orders up as she drives through and brings them home. And so, yeah, for my mom, uh, whether she really comprehends it or not, all of her shopping is being done online. Yeah, uh, It's just yeah. being done by my sister and, and yeah, you're right. It And, and so, that's not magic anymore. Like it's not, Mm -mm. it's not a mystery of how is Amazon doing that? Mm -hmm. Everybody, every, well, everybody in retail or production could get involved in that either by using Amazon or not. But especially back to our, you know, grocery friends, I mean, that order could be placed with them. Yeah. Just as easily, especially for those perishable items. And, I do think our grocers are doing a better job of owning it um, now that they've been through a bit uh, more volume of it, where I see more of them trending toward they want to handle the order themselves. They want to pick yeah. it themselves. They want to still have a relationship with their customer themselves. Um, so they're striving to do a better job there. Um, so
0: are they? Are they still sort of thinking that they have to run it through their standard distribution system, put it on the shelf, pick it off the shelf and do it. Or are they starting to, you know, starting to really the more progressive retailers starting to think about micro fulfillment systems and such.
1: The bigger location, the bigger owners, uh, the bigger chains are definitely moving toward micro fulfillment. Um, that's something that we're working to add to our portfolio of solutions as well. Um, and, and so we're, some locations are adding on space next door to their existing grocery store and they're putting micro fulfillment in and probably brad from what i'm researching about you know 80 85 percent of that order can be done through automation the other you know 15 to 20 percent is still being picked from the store because it just they're even the Folks who have determined and worked hard through all the automation, it's still hard to pick an apple um, yeah. or an avocado or whatever through automation um, and to keep that in in good order within the automated system. Mm-hmm. They've come up with some really exciting methods where, again, the order comes in online seamlessly from the consumer. The um, micro-fulfillment center, software understands what part it's handling the other part gets split off and sent over to someone who's picking primarily just those mm-hmm. perishable items and then those two orders still meet together through the automated system and go out the uh the door either for delivery or pick up at store um, they're still combined through that automated system and ready uh, for the customer so the, the micro fulfillment center I think is the next step. Um, I believe the future will be that a grocery store, actually a a brick and mortar store. This is what surprises me a little bit about where Amazon's going right now. I think it's going to be a really wonderful produce bakery, deli, meat, seafood department, maybe a coffee shop. And then, you're gonna look through a wall, you know, to your left as you walk in, and there's gonna be the robotics that's that's picking all the grocery, dairy, frozen, and, it's and a, it's,
0: a modern day general store.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it, it's uh, yeah, we're we're going back in time, but forward with technology. I mean, yeah. I really feel that's that will be the, the store of the future. Um, yeah. V has started to build small stores. Now they've yeah. gone through some. Transition. So I can't speak for if it's still on track, but we visited um, a 10,000 square foot small Hy-V, which, if you know anybody that's familiar oh, yeah. with Hy-V, they're 125 plus thousand square feet. But they went into a community that wasn't ready for a, that big of a store, dropped in a 10,000 square foot store, put their top movers in there, added fuel, and put lockers outside. So you can order. From the full online compliment, they deliver your order to the locker at that small store. You can still pop in and buy beer, wine, liquor, cigarettes, uh, whatever, (laughs) and and fuel up. But your groceries now from the big store have been dropped into your community at the small store.
0: That's great.
1: Um, Which, by the way, just as a little pitch for our, our technology, we should should you by mid-year have full facial recognition worked out with the lockers. So where we've been limited before, certainly still going to need to check with all the local authorities to make sure they'll accept the the technology, but um, it will not open the door that has any age specific requirements for anybody but the adult that they are using facial recognition to determine that that is the person standing right in front of the locker. Um, So that'll be another step in uh, our technology pursuit to be able to add, you know, beer, wine, liquor, tobacco into uh, the delivery process and, and be completely confident that we're not inadvertently um, supplying that to people that shouldn't be receiving it. Yeah. Um, So that's another, another cool step in the technology that's, that's almost here. i um, excited about having that as well.
0: Yeah. That, I mean, it's cool. Well, I'm glad to hear that about hy B, by the way, because like, I'd say i like to see some, some of the, you know, while they're, they're big in our market area, they're not the biggest, but you know, what happens is you start seeing somebody like a hy V doing what you're talking about. Um, all of the other players are going to seriously consider models like that. Uh, you know, the, I know, I like say, I know I've heard of Kroger trying to create more Amazon type like centers and stuff like that, which sort of makes me wonder a little bit because, you know, they're, while they're good at food, you know, you know, is that, is that really right to have these mammoth centers versus more, Hey, you're already to your point. I mean, there's some things that are not going to be easy to do through a mammoth system, you know, you know, that, that, you know, and, and maybe, yeah, like i like say not going to be able to do, not in the next 20 years, probably,
1: you know, yeah. Kroger is is definitely, I mean, I've I've followed that carefully trying to, again, understand where they're headed. And I think at a a significant level, if you look at where they're placing these massive fulfillment centers, and and literally they are like 350,000 square foot facilities that are designed specifically to pick single orders. Yeah. Um, But they're placing them in markets where they can support it well where they don't have very much brick and mortar
0: oh so okay. i'm
1: i'm pondering if their approach is well okay let's tap the brakes on building buildings for a yeah. while and if like I, i'm gonna say well, i think about
0: one three hundred fifty thousand square foot you know facility like that is what, about eight six six of their stores right and, right. Uh, and uh you know maybe let maybe even less So, it's like you can build one and service a
1: broader area. Um, Well, and if you're going to make that push, like, you know, say they're going down into Texas and Texas is really Walmart and HEB are down there just duking it out. And you're Kroger and you're like, well, I'd like to pluck off some of that volume, but I think I'm just going to do it online and I'm just going to build one of these things. Yeah. The interesting thing to me, though, Brad, they just announced uh, a few of these is um, they're... Apparently, from what I can read, they're from the 350,000 square foot facility. They're now loading those orders on trucks and driving them to a 50,000 square foot facility where they can then be closer to the people that they're delivering to their front door. Um, (laughs) So once again, I'm kind of like, yeah.
0: Why that final mile? Why not a clocker system? You know, that's a lot of infrastructure for for something that people are already out and about anyways. Right.
1: Yeah, I think they I think the latest one I heard was was the um the 350,000 square foot facility located in, somewhere in Texas and the 50,000 square foot one located in Oklahoma. And then from the 50,000 they can then distribute to the online shoppers in Oklahoma and and, and so maybe what they've learned is that a, a, a hub and spoke concept allows one of those big 350s to mm-hmm service multiple states. Uh, again, yeah. uh, I, I continue to believe that there's some really smart people making those decisions, yeah. even though I sit back and scratch my head. But um, <laughs> I still believe that the local grocer has every opportunity to compete. And, yeah. um, it's just a matter of how they embrace all of this as well. Yeah. Um, and you know, again, if, if, if Kroger called tomorrow and said we'd like to talk to you about lockers, certainly we'd talk to them as well. Yeah. Um, I think some of those big guys, they just l- kind of leapfrogged right over common sense approach to very futuristic. I mean, I've talked to saying, the, Walmart,
0: the Walmart big orange tower that they have in the front of the store that's sitting collecting dust right now is sort of a good example of that.
1: So an executive with Walmart, I love that story. They, he did a he did a speaking engagement with a group of retailers, and they talked about the big tower. Yeah. And um, they asked him, well, the of course some some one who still needed to be concerned about making money um, said, "What's the return on investment?"
0: Yeah.
1: And he said there isn't one.
0: Yeah.
1: And they're like, wait, wait, what do you mean there isn't one? He's like, no, we're just trying to get people to come back in the store. Yeah. And if it's a cool thing and it moves up and down and it catches somebody's attention and they think it's cool, we're not really doing an ROI on that. We're just trying to get them to come back to the store. That's not the way to go. I, you know, not in my opinion. I mean, that's that. Yeah. Why don't you put a Ferris wheel in the store and don't yeah. to ride it? You know, I mean, that that's a unique approach. Um, I do appreciate that everybody's trying to figure out how to, yep continue to maximize the use of their brick and mortar. It's, it's a problem. I mean, their balance sheet is full of real estate and buildings. They can't just let that dwindle.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but an interesting study that I did see that was interesting to me is that, um, online ordering is still climbing. Um, the specific category of, and and I hope I can repeat this correctly, but the specific category of online ordering from non-retail to be delivered to home actually last year went down. Oh, All really? right. And the online ordering with pickup at store went up like pretty dramatically. So yeah. what I think we're finding is that the, you know, Larry, the cable guy joke about, I'll be there between eight and noon. Um, it, you know, people are weary of that. And they're like, yeah. all right, I, you know, there's enough cars coming up down my driveway. There's enough cars coming in and out of my subdivision. I'm out and about now. I'm, I'm not, um, feeling that I need to be, um, isolated at home. So I'll just come pick it up. Just, mm-hmm. just give me the flexibility to come pick it up. And so again, um, Maybe not a return to the store, but at least a return to the parking lot, you know, is occurring um, at a nice level. And now, you know, we're experimenting with technology. Of course, again, a challenge from a customer, which we love, is, you know, can we put right next to the locker an impulse purchase merchandiser? Mm -hmm. that's still driven by technology. So I went online, I ordered my online things and I get to the locker and I glance next to it and go, Oh man, um, (laughs) I'd like like to have some of that. And so now we're looking at and actually saw a prototype of it for the first time this week, a uh, concept where it's a glass enclosed. It's not glass. It's actually almost Bulletproof. I mean, they've yeah. tested it so that somebody can't just break the window out and take everything. But uh, the visual is a glass fixture that is managed with technology, and you can swipe your credit card and buy three mm-hmm. or four more things. Yeah, sitting right next to the locker. Um, the guy who challenged me with that is uh, a new customer of ours over in Michigan, and he's like, "Hey, the lockers are working great, but people have said, you know, uh, and these lockers are remote; they're not at the front of a store." And they've said, oh, I forgot to order, you know, the basics, milk, butter, sour cream, miracle whip, whatever. And he's like, if I could have a merchandiser sitting right next to the lockers (laughs) where those forgotten items could be. I'm like, well, let me get to work on that. And so,
0: by the way, so you're going to, I have, I have, I have somebody I'll introduce you to that's working in this space, Um, but doing, he's doing a robotic uh, barista. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't know if you know Adrian. Um, but, uh, you should probably talk to him, um, yeah. you know, cause he's, he, like I, he, he's opening up his first outlet in Waukesha someplace. I think it is cool. Um, and, uh, octane coffee and, uh, and, you know, he's like, I, I was reading the review that it was, there was some article that they was talking about it and he goes like, yeah, sir, that's the startup has been sort of st- slow. He says, because is it a vending machine or is it a retail outlet? You know? Yeah. And, you know, and there's some licensing that goes along with that with respect to foods. Right. You know? Um, but you know, obviously he's navigated it now, but yeah, I, 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 I that's a very interesting, I hadn't really thought of that either, but it's like, okay. Um, you know, how do you, how do you ladder this thing up? So that it does become that sort of automated center.
1: Um, and that, and that particular, the company that's, that's looking at building that for us, complete automation back to the supply side yeah. where it's like. You know, we're down to four gallons of milk. We're down to two yeah. gallons of milk. Yeah. We're down to no gallons of milk. Like it, it's communicating constantly. Yeah. It's, And so then when the delivery truck comes to put the orders in the locker, they just restock the yeah. machine. I mean, it's, uh, Brad, it's fun. I mean, oh, it's God, just that's uh, amazing. Yeah, well, you exactly. know,
0: what, one thing, by the way, I'd like say I want to make sure that uh, you, you put a plug in for T4 Solutions in the sense that I know that when we were talking and we were, you know, in the cohort and working together on your plans and stuff. You know, we, at the very beginning, it was all about lock. It wasn't all about lockers. You know? I mean, you were T4 Solutions, but we were focusing on how do we move more lockers, you know? Right. And and then as we went 360 a couple of times, yeah. um, we finally came back to say, you know, you guys are a consulting business first, you know? Right. Um, and and you, you have not only the lockers as a tool, you have a whole bunch of other connections that, you know, just your background alone in, in retail grocery let alone then your connections with delivery vehicles, your connections with technology platforms. Why don't you, sh- you know, share a little bit about T4 and what you uniquely bring to that? Because um, honestly, a lot of places don't have all of the elements of your consulting background.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, our background in store development certainly helps us a lot. And, and we're hoping that people will start to reach out early in the process of their journey. Uh, and we can talk to them about what they're hoping to accomplish. So, I mean right away with our design and facility background, um, we understand the difference between a leasehold improvement. You know, we're gonna we're gonna modify our building in order to accommodate e-commerce uh, versus the purchase of a fixture. Um, we understand the the cost difference there. We understand the tax consequences there. Um, so we're we're hoping that we can get people to start to communicate early in their journey. We've developed a lot of connection with great online e-commerce platforms um, that um, we know create uh, great venues and great platforms and remain behind the scenes. Um, That's pretty important when you start to ponder the journey of Instacart and where they're going. And now, you know, a lot of people say they shop at Instacart. My sister-in-law said that the other day. I'm like, where do you primarily shop? I shop at Instacart. Well, that's kind of scary for the retailer. to learn that their customer believes they're shopping at Instacart, so connections with um, e-commerce providers. Um, you know, you you the obviously the lockers is as a hardware item, and the growing um, ability of the lockers to do more, the potential of the uh, merchandiser that could go alongside of that, the trucks. Um, now we're expanding our reach into the micro fulfillment. Uh, strategies so that we're starting to uh, work with people who might feel that that is a part of their direction. It gets back to kind of, again, our roots of, uh, you know, a facility, equipment, um, technology, how it all works, the refrigerated portion, the frozen portion. Um, it's all, it's all wheelhouse stuff for us because we spent 30 years um, understanding how to build retail and then also understanding 30 years of change, Um, you know, even helping retailers uh, coordinate uh, things inside the store that they may not be used to, whether it's the right way to pick the order, the right equipment to have to pick the order, how they might be managing their point of sale system as it relates to these orders or just in general related to the challenges they're facing with the labor shortage. Um, Yeah. I mean, if it's, if it's related to retail food and we don't know how to do it, we know somebody who does. Um, And so it's, it's, it's 30 plus years of, of passion within an industry that I can't let go of. And Mm -hmm. um, we just continue to look at any and every avenue, uh, certainly with, you know, a current focus on, on e-commerce, but every tool, um, Mm -hmm. including, you know, that tool might be your building. Um, yeah. you know, how do I take my 100,000 square foot building and put a 25,000 square foot micro fulfillment center right in the middle of it uh, and figure out how to still have a perishable experience but have this all automated? Those are things that we're into and we're researching and working on and we're touring manufacturers um, locations to understand how their technology and equipment works best with food. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of, I found that, that a lot of the micro fulfillment automation came through the automotive <laughs> industry where they were picking parts, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Except, you know, uh, lug nuts and eggs are just two different things. Right. So we're, we're doing You're that. Evaluation. So I, I, did, I, I,
0: I was picking breadsticks, little, little bitty breadsticks, you know, using automotive technology. Um, yeah and yeah. and and qualifying them that they were the right size they weren't double they weren't paired up like you know they we had all we had like five or six qualification steps in the in the in the sorting and the stainless steel you know vibratory system and and uh it, it was it all came out of the automotive actually it came out of between the automotive industry and the and the and the mint industry right um, you know because they needed the precision of of everything there um yeah. But it, it it's if you look outside of food, there's a lot of great technology, and then you say, okay, how do we apply it? it it's, right. It's, it's it's almost as simple as that. It, it really is. It's just a, a little scary for a lot of people, honestly. Because I I can remember when I called back to my Oscar Mayer friends and said, hey, you know, you should try something I found, and you know, of course, according to the monolith of Oscar Mayer, they wouldn't do it. You know, they just didn't even they didn't even look at it. And I'm like, you're missing the boat, boys.
1: <laughs> well, we spent we spent. Thirty years, Brad, working hard for the smaller, you know, uh, you know, let's say chains of, you know, a hundred down to one mm-hmm. uh, single store owner, and we we spent our career being the forward-thinking design and engineering company that they couldn't yes. afford to have in-house. Yeah, and we haven't changed, so we're out there. Um, looking at what the future looks like so that our retailers can call us and say, what the heck does the future look like? Right. Yeah. And and they don't have the staff or the engineering group or the technology teams, you know, certainly the big guys do, um, mm-hmm. you know, and and we'll still hopefully have an opportunity to work with them on concepts they develop. But for the, for the grocers who are really wanting to have that vision, but can't afford to have it, full-time in-house. That's, mm-hmm. that's who we are. We're out there looking at those opportunities where we're looking at how they're being tested. I mean, just as a comment, I I've yet to have anybody come in and say, um, Steve, do the lockers work? <laughs> like they just are, you know, they're already have built a confidence that if yeah. we've tested them and we've researched them and we've picked this particular, manufactured, there's a reason. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And, um, I, I, again, it's, it's humbling to me that, that people have that confidence, but hopefully over 30 years we've earned it. And, and so that's the place where that the person who called and said, what about effectively, what about vending next to the locker? So let me work on that. The person who called and said, I'm a college commissary. I need cold and hot. Let me work on that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, those are the things where we'll do the legwork. That's how we create a solution. And we'll bring it. And, mm-hmm. and so go back and do what you do best and let us do what we do best. And then we'll meet at the right spot at the right time and figure out how to get that solution in place for you.
0: Yeah, no, I, I I always liked working with you on, on on just on that piece of it alone because I say you're sort of uh, I can remember one time I was um, I, I was doing something I, I don't know it was with Sir General Asquimai or something like that and somebody came up to me and said you know you're sort of uniquely qualified for this opportunity <laughs> um, and you know because of my background what I was doing at the time that kind of thing and that's sort of what I ever I always sort of thought of you and and T four um, in that same vein is that. You know, this is not a simple solution. It requires a, a, a lot of uh, different types of insights and connectivity to, uh, a, a, you know, really connecting the old brick and mortar to the e-commerce world is is not for the faint of heart, as we've talked about earlier yeah. with Amazon. It's not going to be, it's, it's proven not to be an easy thing. All right. Um, you know, the good news is, you know, for every problem, there is a solution, um, you know, there's a T4 solution.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: right, <laughs> and, right. uh, you know, but it takes the, getting the right kind of people in the room. All right. To talk about it. Right. And then to, you know, create scenarios that that can actually you know solve your problem.
1: Yeah, we've um, worked through we've worked through things as small as a customer right now is wanting to put their locker um, in an outdoor application in a area of a city that has a high need, but also has a high vandalism rate. They want to put it in a gated area.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: They're like, but how do we get people in? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, and so we went to work on it on the IT side and figured out how they could add a remote programmable digital lock on the Mm -hmm. gate. And by simply um, reprogramming that at regular intervals and providing that um, code to our system, it'll add the gate code to the order information so that you can walk up and open the gate and then go in and open your lockers. I mean, it was, so a simple thing like that to, you know, a complicated thing where we're producing a brand new machine or a brand new device to, you know, somebody sat down with a, a truck, company. And I'm like, Hey, I need a, I need a compartment in here for hot food. And we looked at all the different ways we could do it. And suddenly, you know, the person we're sitting there going back and forth. And I'm like, well, the the radiator in this truck has got to be over 150 degrees. Can't we heat that cabinet with that? And the next thing you know, we've got a heat exchanger. You know connected to the radiator on the truck that's running at 160 degrees and we're yeah. running hot food in one corner of a refrigerated and frozen truck you know those are and it's fun it's yeah. fun it, it's yeah. we enjoy it we enjoy we enjoy the solutions part um you know again it, it'd be a drag if we were just t4 lockers yeah. um and and we're not and that's that's the relationship you hope to build we're, we're working with the large a food pantry group down in, um, Ohio, they've got some special programming needs and we're working through that. It's just been, um, I mean, you know me, I'm, I'm impatient, so I would like it to be (laughs) faster. Right. But, but it is, um, it's rewarding. And I think that's what keeps you striving to, well, I mean, for me, I know it's what keeps me striving to accomplish what the, um, what the retailer or, or the distributor of food or the consumer needs is, it's just, it's so intriguing to figure out these problems and develop that solution.
0: You know, it's sort of an, you know, when you start talking, mean, it's like every time I talk to you, we always come up with other things to do. <laughs> but it's sort of like, interesting, you know, whenever, when you especially when you talk about that the bolt-on merchandiser, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this whole idea, I'm working with a couple of companies that have been doing some really good e-commerce work. But, you know, you start thinking about it, maybe to your point is like, would it make more sense for people to have their own locker systems or buying into a locker system Like we've talked about it on the community side of things? Um, you know, you know, could you even extend it to this is my retail outlet? It's, it's my lo- it's a locker. It's not a store. <laughs> it's a locker, you know, so you buy online and, you know, and, and so you start, you know, because a lot of the products that, I, that we deal with don't ship very well through e-commerce, right? Right. So, you know. And so, would it be better to do more mass shipping through a locker system so that you can cut your cost? Um, you know, if you amortize it over time, so it'll be interesting to see how this all all goes. I, I tell you, what, just in a matter of time. So, one thing I, you know, you, you touched on. So, um, why don't you talk a little bit about food deserts and some of the things that are you know the, the other areas that you know normally people don't. You know, this is sort of like the extension of this idea was lockers for retail grocery, e-commerce, and stuff like that. You know, I, and I think you had other things in mind, but they're truly out there and they're truly, you know, t- it sounds like they're getting traction. So why don't you share just a little bit on that?
1: Yeah. You know, when we, when we got into this, um, we definitely had a small picture <laughs> uh, <laughs> at, at the time. We, we thought this is so great for curbside. These grocery stores just put these things right in their parking lot and it creates great efficiency. And it does. I mean, that, that's not a a, a limited opportunity. That's a very large opportunity and it can do that. As we started to communicate um, out around the country, um, food deserts did become a, a passionate item. And, you know, food deserts are, are now, you know, really in two forms. We have certain neighborhoods in big cities that are food desert just by lack of availability. And the public transit system can be very difficult for people to get to a store and get back home. Um, and so the ability to place, um, a locker in an environment where a neighborhood regains great access to food, um, and, and it eliminates all that, um, journey that they have to take, um, to get that food is great. So lockers placed into, um, areas and neighborhoods within larger cities that don't have food is one form of the food desert. The other, form of a food desert is really rural America. And we're we are gaining traction in that, Brad. I've just had a call this week with a community in Minnesota that wants to buy the locker and own it um, and then start to create an opportunity for food to come back. These are rural communities that no longer have a store. Yeah. And um, you and I have talked about this. Um, when you talk to the wholesalers, we know a lot of the guys that formerly Super Value, now UNFI, um, you know, even Circo out in Madison, I mean, small town USA stores are for sale and there are no buyers. And so we're going to see a lot of last generation owner operators of small town USA stores and the ability to transition that to online and and locker systems um, is, I think it's on the verge of just busting out. We have a a gentleman in Iowa that's putting in his third location that's just focused on that. He goes into communities that have no longer, recently or even long ago, lost their grocery store. So that food desert opportunity in rural America is very large. Mm -hmm. Um, And then this new food pantry opportunity. I mean, again, um, didn't really see it coming. Very, very Inspired by the fact that they found us, Um, obviously, through some of our marketing and communication, somebody connected the dots. So truly, um, that definition of food desert are just simply those people who are in desperate need and and they're reaching out to the uh, programs that are available to them to uh, feed their family and to be able to um, meet the goals of these food pantries where um, they're distributing into small communities as well. And, you know, there used to be a little storefront or something that represented the food pantry. Well, the cost of that, the labor of that is difficult. Mm -hmm. And now lockers could be a solution for people in need to be able to get that food product very close um, to their front door. Um, They're actually looking at a cooperative effort with the um, uh, bus system to place lockers on the public transit system in some cities where people who are in need would have great route access to those things. So the food desert um, project is um, pretty passionate. I grew up in a very small town in Missouri. We would have, before we knew what a food desert was, we were one. Um, And so that, that hits close to home. And also just ironically, my oldest sister, I used to run the local um, Missouri Osage County food pantry, and I helped her there. So those are, again, um, just great projects, great Mm -hmm. projects to help people. Um, And and the community I spoke with in Minnesota, their, their approach to the whole thing is that during COVID people and businesses transition to a remote working environment and they're pressing, um, from a marketing strategy to have people, you know, quote unquote, move home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so people that are in the city moving back to the rural America and they've identified food as one. number littering. one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Access yeah. to being able. I mean, why do I want to go someplace where I can't even get, I, I live in West Bend and, but I'm literally in the country I'm I'm close. I mean, when I bought, I never thought of myself as living out in the country, but I live one mile to pick and save. Right? Yeah. Um, so I was sort of like, Oh, I'm closer to pick and save now than when I lived in the city actually. But, but um, but yeah, I, I you know, it, it's a big issue. I could see that and I could see where, yes, you know, how do you, how do you stay alive? And I mean, you already had problems in the first place, but to your point, turn a problem into a, into a solution to get people to come back.
1: Um well, and their big initiative that was that was funded was to get um, high speed Internet to every yeah. household. Yeah. And they've been funded for that. So now they're like, OK, OK. Now yeah. yeah the but they
0: didn't have that. That's a whole nother, that's a whole other discussion point. again. But it's like I never thought about that with the, 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 the whole infrastructure bill, getting high, getting Wi-Fi, high speed Internet to the entire world. Um, it's yeah. Gonna be, it's going to be an interesting game changer trend wise.
1: It will. And, and that trend, uh, to have people, and and you know, Brad, from all the people I've talked to COVID caused people to just start to appreciate again, the outdoors. I mean, it was one kind of, you know, venue as weird as that sounds, but it was, it was one venue that was still available to them that, you know, we can go for a walk. We can go to the park. We can go camping. I mean, good grief. I mean, campers sold at a record rate for however long. And, and I know a lot of people who have moved out of Chicago and now live just, you know, over the border in Indiana, or they, you know, just South into um, Kentucky. I mean, they're, they're, it, it's, it's happening. And yeah. so these, and, and the thing that's not happening, you know, the trend is not your friend, as you say, small grocery stores in small towns are not going to be built. Yeah. That is not going to happen. You can't, well, I mean, now you can't find the help, but beyond that, you can't afford to build a 10 or 11 or 12,000 square foot store. Now, some guys are still some guys and gals using that term. um, Yeah. But some are finding ways to buy existing buildings and still add some grocery. Like I know a guy who just bought a former Shopco building and, you know, he mm-hmm. got it for pennies on the dollar. And so he's going to be able to afford to do something, but yeah. generally speaking, more of those small town stores are for sale for sale than there are buyers. Mm-hmm. And I'm not seeing groundbreaking efforts by grocers in stores of 1500 or less people.
0: Well, I, although I like your comment uh, earlier, I said it's sort of interesting. The center of the the center of the grocery store has always been a bane of a lot of retailers' existence. Um, so, how do you take that? You know that you know that really massive. Actually, it's a massive inventory, by the way.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and and sort of, cr- if you were to create more of a, to your point, create a create an attraction. People could watch. Yes. People right. can watch their products, their boxes of stuff that they don't really care about being. And they know they're probably, they've been handled on lines, you know, that's not a big deal. So they can actually see it come to them and wow, that's great. I can just, I'll shop at the perimeter store and at the end, I'll pick up the rest of my stuff. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. I see that coming. I I also see my wife, uh, Shelly, doesn't like it when I have this conversation, but I do see the micro fulfillment center and a successful distribution method like, like the lockers or something else yet to be created. I do see that replacing, um, retail in smaller communities. I mean, oh, yeah,
0: yeah, no, I, I do too. I mean, it's like, I, after the Amazon, after like, say just my, I'm sort of like a full believer of almost everything. I, I take a look at it and the only reason I go to the, the only reason I go to the store is I need it that day. Right. Right. And, and, uh, um, and it's, it's truly, and, and, I, and I know when I go, I'm going to be frustrated because I'm not going to have the size I want them. When I, I mean, I just know I'm crossing my fingers because retailers first response in a lot of cases, well, we gotta, we gotta manage our inventory tightly so that we can make money. I'm like, that's the number one reason you have an existence right now is you should have it on the shelf. please right. If you don't have it on the shelf, you're really have no value to me. Um, I might as well then just go to Amazon because in fact, one, I can't remember my wife just did something recently and. The guy basically told her to go to Amazon or go buy order it online. Yeah, <laughs>
1: I'm yeah. like,
0: oh. that's a different uh,
1: form of customer service. But yeah, a, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't
0: stock that out here at the store. You have to order that online. You're just really pushing people to go to online.
1: Well, and um, I think I think that there is also um, there there have been a lot of reports that I've read about trust and mm-hmm. and the concern of the younger up and coming consumers of this trust issue. Mm -hmm. And I really feel like if the local grocer could embrace the transition to automation, that there'd still be a trust. Yeah. Um, There'd be a trust advantage that they would have over what seems to be a diminishing trust over big corporate America. Right. And, and so I, I just wish that, you know, Bob and John and Mary and Sue, the retailers would say, let's build one of those micro fulfillment centers yeah. and let's yeah. service these 25 yeah. towns and let's yeah. still be local. Like, yeah. because yeah. you could yeah. do yeah. that. You, yeah,
0: you, no, you could. Well, as I say, and the, the problem you run into too that I'm finding a like, good example is that, you know, I can actually Amazon for the most part, I, I'll, I always check the return policy and I can return things period. They don't no questions yeah. asked. Yeah. Um, I get all kinds of like, you know, I got hit for restocking fee on one. And I'm like, you know, you, you really, I mean, I, I bought a stock item and that's part of your inventory network. It's not something you had to custom make. Um, and you're charging me a restocking fee.
1: Right. Well, we don't
0: keep it in the store. I'm like, I get it, but you're going to go to a warehouse. People order these things online. I mean, you you don't, you don't understand. You're competing with somebody that will take it back. Yeah. All right. So yeah. you're forcing me to be very precise whenever I go to you, but with them, I don't have to worry about it. Right. right? I'm like, it, it's, it's, to me, it's like, to your point, I always, uh, this is where I always come back. You know, you look at the trends and you look at, you know, the, the physics of the business going on around you. And it's like, try to fight physics, guys. You, you will you will always lose. Supply and demand is the business of physics. And and right now, the demand cycle is, you know, and the channel for demand is e-commerce. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and it's going to continue to continue to grow. Um, And yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting ride, you know, retail wise and then real estate. And then to your point of COVID sort of adjusting you know this idea that we can't work remote and things like that. Well, yes, we can. There's a lot of people doing it, um, and and it's a great perk to a lot of people. You know, so that's why. Why would I go work for Brand X for versus Brand? Y? Why would they let me work three days remote? You know, yeah, and it makes a big difference.
1: And that and that's again, that's um, fueling that labor shortage yeah. again. I, I talked to a friend of mine the other day, and they asked one of their um, deli um, prep people to not wear their earbuds and play music while they were working because they were paging him for a customer order and he couldn't hear him. Yeah. And he said, well, I quit <laughs> and like, really? Like wearing the earbuds is more important than the job. And he's like, I'm sure I could get a job with the earbuds. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. So, you know, again, um, whether it's the micro fulfillment center, whether it's the stepping stone of lockers. Um, I don't know what's going to turn this hiring and, and well, um, I
0: think the hiring thing is going to be an interesting one because um, frankly, as I said, I think if, I haven't looked at the demo, the numbers, but the shift I always, I did 20 years ago when I was looking at marketing for, you know, I was in marketing at, at Sir General and did a lot of dig, diving into the demographic profiles of the, you know, and it was, separate from psychographic, but just, I was just physically looking at the impact of baby boomers and I thought, okay, eventually this is going to pass. All right. And, uh, and then I saw Tony Saragusha and like in 2000, you know, big tackle, you know, retired tackle selling depends. All right.
1: Yeah.
0: And I thought, Oh my God, even into retirement, they're going to drive, they're going to, they're going to drive markets. Yeah. Uh, And so, you know, it's just sort of like they had such a dominant effect and they and they will continue to do, um, because in this case, it's sort of the vacuum effect of the fact that they're no longer doing these part time jobs or these, I'm going to say early retirement jobs. They're retired, you know, Um, and where all those those jobs have to get filled by somebody. Right. And and they're still they're still buying things. Right. It's not like they're not. They have money. So. It's a, I don't, I really, you know, I haven't looked at it, but every every group I, you know, I do some work with, you know, I've not, not so much work, but I have been associated with, um, you know, with FAB's talent group, with MMAC and stuff like that. This is, this is you know, to some extent, we're gonna have to go, I, I'm, I'm recommending people go back in time a little bit. Um, and, I, and I say that, how do you do that? Well, when I was at Oscar, when I was at, in, in school, my engineering undergrad, um, I had the opportunity to you know, my, the guy that the professor that read my uh, my technical writing material when um, I was taking technical writing class, he also headed up the co-op department, and he uh, he said, "Hey, you need a job part time year round," and and I go, "Yeah, I would love one because you know I was doing third shift auditor at a, at a hotel, it was killing me," and and so he got me in at Oscar Mayer, right, and I was you know helped them set up their engineering management system the, and maintenance management system. And, and so when I, you know, for a year and a half, I, I learned a lot about engineering, got a great, built my resume, um, got paid wonderfully, by the way. I mean, at that time it was eight bucks an hour. I thought it was in heaven. And that, yeah. that, that was, that's 24, 25 bucks an hour is what they paid me t- in today's hour. Um, and uh, you know, when I got out, they, you know, they extended an offer. I took it and, and sort of that's sort of the, been the history of my arc of getting into food. But thing is, is that like I was, I'm working with a lot of companies here in the Wisconsin market. And I said, almost every one of your major universities has some kind of program that's in, in, in manufacturing and, 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 and stuff like that. So go to these co-op departments. And I said, think about it, you know, instead of offering them, you know, 15 to $18 to 20 bucks an hour, which is probably what they're going to need to do. Maybe you offer them like 18 bucks an hour. All right. And then you give them a two year, a $2,500 scholarship. Because they're in school. Now, here's a group of people that are in school. They have to sort of stay in school in order to get their degree. You're helping them build a resume. I mean, these are things that used to be done, all right? Um, you know, corporate America did it, all right? Yeah. Um, they don't do it much anymore. <laughs> um, and, you know, create sort of apprenticeship lanes for all practical purposes. You get to know each other. And and once you create that level of trust and that bond with it, you know, like for me, there was no turning back. I didn't consider anybody else except for Oscar Mark.
1: Well, and I think, I I think that, um, you know, things that I read, things that I'm following, you know, the, there's this, this generation that's coming forward that is expecting more out of their career. They're expecting more, really quite honestly, more out of life, um, more than work. Right. And, and yet can be very dedicated and very committed. I mean, I think that a component of technology is exciting. I mean, yeah. when we deliver the lockers and we start reviewing the process and procedure in the dashboards, I mean, it's, these people are excited. I mean, yeah. they're like, wow, yeah. this is so exciting. And, and they're I'm
0: managing it, this
1: yeah. online business and it fits, it, it yeah. fits within their thinking.
0: Yeah.
1: And it takes a, you know, it takes maybe a position where, yeah, I work at the grocery store too. I'm part of the e-commerce team. Yeah. I mean, it, it's yeah. it's a well we better we better embrace it and figure yeah. out a way to make it exciting. Because well, um,
0: well, the only thing I say, you know, like so I've been I've done enough farm factory fork events at Fab Wisconsin, and you know, when whenever we have a panel of they ask questions, the number one we had a panel two years ago, last time we did this, and they're doing it again, I guess, this October, by the way. Um, but it's a pretty good a career exploration in food and beverage. And but anyways, they had a panel, and they had twenty five high school seniors and stuff like that. Get asked the panel questions about jobs in, in, in the industry. You had Louis Gentine from Sargento. You had jo- Giacomo Faluca from Palermo's. You had Truman McGee, you know, from Funky Fresh Spring Rolls. You had Katie Wessel from Milwaukee Pretzel. All twenty questions were about entrepreneurship. Nobody asked about how do I get to work at Oscar Mar- or Sargento or Palermo's or whatever. They and, and what are the jobs that you know that you know what are, you know blah 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 it was all about how do I start my own business? Wow. Wow. Yeah. And then I, I I get, I routinely get calls from different people around the state, you know, university, you know, I I, I linkage through the SBDC. So what happens is, you know, if it's a food beverage question, they say, Hey, talk to Brett. So I talked to the uh, university of Wisconsin, whitewater student the other day, and she's getting an undergrad degree in business, business and entrepreneurship. Yeah. So and she's not, doesn't have a business yet, but she's planning on having a business. And I'm like, this is a different world. I mean, when I got out of school, you know, everybody went to, it to went to work for corporate America. That was the yeah. best job in the world. Right. Yeah. Um, it's not so anymore. And so, you know, how do you embrace that entrepreneurship? I think it's, you know, training these people on how to be good at what they're doing when they're in college is a great way to get them to be hooked when they get out of college, you
1: right. know, and
0: then they could be right. your, they could be your general manager. They can be, you yeah. know, things on that nature. So, I, yeah, I agree. I, I, I think the solution sets are going to have to be embracing. I always say you always have to embrace embrace what's happening, you know, because if you know you fight the, the trends, you better have something more compelling than what they're doing. Um, and and, right. and frankly, um, like I say that the, the especially when you're young and you don't have a lot of commitments yet, you know, being an entrepreneur is very. Very probably very interesting. You get to control your own life, your own schedule. You, even though you don't understand, you're going to be working 80 hours a day.
1: You know? Right, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Well, something, well, yeah, something you mentioned as well that uh, you know we talked about curbside. We talked about the the food deserts. We talked about um, you know the potential for um, the food pantry use for those in mm-hmm. need. We have one that's uh, broken out now and is expanding for the uh, farm to table, the local growers and the CSA organizations, which uh, is coming together. That's, that's been fun to work with. And, um, and I see where, again, that that's a group of people that uh, oddly is getting younger, um, you know, that are getting back into that and uh, working in food in that way. And they're adding technology at a rapid rate. And so that's, that's another cool opportunity that, that we bumped into still looking for that first, you know, corporate America campus for, uh, um, for the benefit of employees to have a convenience, mm-hmm. to be able to order online and pick it up by their car when they head for home. i yeah. um, still searching for that one. And then we're also making a pretty good push into the uh, residential development side yeah. of things where we're looking at, you know, working either through, um, multifamily high rise type application for the delivery of food. Um, and also even, uh, development of, um, subdivision strategies where there, where there's a movement to get deliveries to a central point at the front end of the subdivision and keep all those delivery vehicles, um, out of, uh, where the kids are playing.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, again, just, just, opportunities abound if people will just uh, recognize that, uh, it's there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a great, uh, like I say, I think we're going to wrap this thing up, but, uh, I tie up to Steve, um, you know, you and I, you and I conduct routinely and I always enjoy my conversations. Um, but, uh, and I think there's a lot more to come, um, you know, from everything we just discussed. So I, I just like, I hopefully audience appreciated, uh, sort of a little trip down memory lane for Steve and I to sort of reminisce on things and, and sort of, Postulate the, the market space. So, Steve. Other than that, any any other parting comments for anybody?
1: Well, you know, I I think we're we're just at that time in um, in in industry and in our country and really around the world where um, change has occurred to us, whether we uh, anticipated or wanted it or not, and uh, the opportunity to embrace that. And, um, and and make the right decisions to help the change be a beneficial process is here. We just need to work together to find those solutions to get that done. And uh, we're here, we're here to help. And uh, we're here to help people solve those problems. it's It's what we do. It's why we're here, and we look forward to whoever might reach out and connect with us on any challenge they'd like to solve.
0: Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha and the Food Finance Institute by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.